2: Hi, I'm John McEnroe I'm Bjorn Borg. This
1: is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Winka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. <laughs>
3: Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph by myself, Catherine Wittgett, and alongside me, David Law. And this week we are positioned on the most glorious patch of lawn in Putney. I uh, can't think of any other Ps to complete that glorious alliterative sentence, but uh, we're basking. We're basking. Yes, we record today with the uh, audio backdrop of summer jollity, British summer jollity. Yeah, just hours ago, David, on this very lawn, I was hosting a semi-ironical royal wedding party. Who are you? Yeah, just how over did, there. How did it go? It It was great. It looks a little bit like brexit threw up on my living room there's quite a lot of red white and blue bunting right uh but uh yeah yeah much merriment so
2: you didn't listen to my uh tweets telling everybody to turn it off and turn on the tennis that i was commentating on no
3: i mean my policy on it i mean i'm not that interested in people i don't know getting married i find it quite hard at the best of times to be interested in people I do know getting married but I manage, I manage it um, but anything that people get happy about is fine in my book and any excuse for sausage roll cake and bunting David is is a good thing
2: I've noticed that yes <laughs> so r- Rome tennis has happened
3: Rome tennis has happened although, Just a minute ago. although I did I did I mean there is a legitimate tennis link in the royal reading oh, discussion.
2: Yeah. There is
3: very, very legit somebody
2: who has won more Grand Slam titles than anybody.
3: Yeah, currently. Serena Williams was there. She was with Alexis Ohanian. I mean, she th- had a really good seat as well. She wasn't one of those ones at the back. She was on one of the front pews.
2: That wasn't on her excuse form, was it, for not being in Rome?
3: no just uh, it. I wonder when the we need a a really specific detailed timeline of when when the save the date came when she replied to that when she accepted the invitation when she pulled out of Rome it's kind of okay I want details Serena I want details have you seen the pictures of her just, just chatting away to George Clooney
2: yeah well you know he was thrilled because, you know, now he's met a big star.
3: Everyone everyone was thrilled. Apart from, I have a little feeling there's probably somebody that wasn't thrilled. Who's that? Who do you think probably thought they should have been invited and wasn't? And maybe when they saw Serena there, felt a little bit... Initials RF. Initials RF. Maybe. It's not often he gets slighted, but I reckon... He went to, um, uh, what's-a-chop's, Pippa... Uh, he went to her wedding yes, unexpectedly he did, yeah. didn't he he did I, I can see you want to move on from wedding well, chat did you know
2: incidentally <laughs> that i've been i've been on the trail of roger federer today somewhat Have you? uh yes i've been trying I, I decided this morning i woke up and i thought uh, we're obviously going to talk about rome we're going to talk about the the final between rafael nadal and alexander's very much just
3: to remind you <laughs> we are going to do that folks we are having
2: that uh, and incidentally <laughs> nadal has just won you probably know that and also Alina visalina has got the title beating uh, simona Halep. but I woke up thinking, I wonder what Roger Federer is actually doing right now. So onto Twitter I went, onto he's, Instagram, onto he's, Facebook. He's
3: tr- trolling the palace for not inviting him.
2: <laughs> yes, uh, so I thought, what what is he doing? You know, where do, where does he spend this six weeks of time? You know, does he does he go and just train in Switzerland? He
3: polishes his awards.
2: Does maybe does that? Uh, does he go off around the world? And because I know he,
3: wh- Pe- people post selfies with him at like. Um, galas and stuff don't they yeah. there's a fair bit of that
2: although he did do a major uh, charitable thing I think at the end of April but I've not seen anything of him since he, he announced he was playing one of the grass court tournaments at the start of May on his Facebook but that's it right we haven't heard anything about him and I thought when you know what is it now it's, it's getting towards the end of May French Open is going to start next week has he got on grass yet that's what I want to know has he started training so I thought I'm going to try and find out so uh Sorry oh, about no. the name dropping oh, here. No. Here we go. I feel it coming. I, I texted Ivan Lubitsch, <laughs> oh, <laughs> who God. has steadfastly refused all interview requests from me for the last three years. <laughs> and uh, always have a He slightly. really
3: has been very committed yes, to has. that to that so policy. <laughs> yeah. I thought, I can,
2: I can get around this by texting him just a couple of questions for information and maybe he'll just answer them without He
3: doesn't like to receive a stalkerish text from David yeah. Law out of the
2: so, blue. So I, I thought I'd do that and uh, lo and behold he did reply and uh, he said... It's "I quite
3: this podcast has become just David Law Reeves text messages yeah
2: well okay shall I not read it <laughs>
3: no, go for okay, it okay here's
2: the reply uh, the gist of it at least is that I'm still not talking to you <laughs> about anything because I don't think it's professional for me to do it uh, and uh, he did also say I hope your tears will not flood the entirety of London so we can actually play Wimbledon and try to defend the title hang
3: Triangle. on a second so you've got no news there was no just news. an excuse to say uh, you, th- you well, texted you then the I
2: decided to contact René Stafos, who's the, one of the, the best and most experienced journalists in switzerland uh, he said i'm on holiday leave me alone david and, this is
3: not a good segment so far then, you need to up your game and then he said <laughs> it's not good he said
2: i'm guessing you're somewhere in switzerland doing physical work so that's as much as i've got so far
3: should we move on yeah
2: I tried Rome.
3: David has hot fitted it from uh, from sort of Rome. I don't want to destroy the illusion that you've been in Rome commentating yeah, on the no, uh, on the women's final, uh, but you have been commentating on the women's final I um, have, yeah. between Lena Svitolina and Simona Halep. And uh, I'm not necessarily saying I wasn't expecting Svitolina to win. Uh, I commentated a couple of her matches earlier in the week and was completely blown away. And of course, she beat Halep in last year's final. I'm not sure anyone was expecting what actually played out in in the final six love six four question mark over Halep's um physical fitness she did go off court early in the second set for treatment somewhere on around her midriff rib but I think we kind of need to put that to one side when we I don't think so either
2: she was um I mean I in in the space of two days she's played Maria Sharp over and after the first set of that Darren Cahill, Cahill came on As we know, so many of his uh, on-court coaching assignments are are just so fascinating with her, and and fair play to her. She's honest, she's open, and she said to him on the court then, I just don't believe in my serve, and and sure enough, she'd been broken five times out of five in the first set against Sharapova yesterday. Massive credit to her, because she turned it around. As negative as she was feeling and as badly as it was going, she turned it around and beat Sharapova for the first time in three sets ever, and the first time on clay. Today she came out against an inspired Alina Svitolina, who who has beaten her in the final here a year ago in Rome, uh, and also led her by a set and five-one at Roland Garros. But blew it, frankly, choked a bit. Halep turned it around, did brilliantly, and won that match. This one, Svitolina came out playing probably as well as I've ever seen her play. I didn't think Simona Halep had any feel on the ball she had no form she had no touch she wasn't into it and at the end of the first set he came on this time and he tried to say look you've just got to came work on,
3: it was five love wasn't it yeah. I think five love in the first set yeah you got to work it you got to
2: work you, got, you, you hit 25 on four stairs in the first set I mean slight exaggeration but that's what <laughs> it was kind of like and she said something to him to which, and I couldn't quite hear what it was, to which he replied, well, you're just going to have to work that bit out yourself.
3: Yeah, I desperately tried to uh, scour Twitter for somebody out there with more attuned hearing than us that had managed to detect what Simele Halepov had said. Um prior to him saying that and I couldn't find anybody that had interpreted that mumble.
2: Our investigative skills are <laughs> a bit off this week, aren't <laughs> they? They
3: are a bit but yeah, it was it was absolutely fascinating. His interactions with her are always fascinating. But that one in particular, yeah, the way it ended, the way I loved I always love the way they start because a lot of coaching exchanges, as much as as uh, I'm as you know I'm broadly in favour although I'd change certain parameters to it they are always fascinating a lot of them make me really uncomfortable because I don't like the dynamics between the coach and the player they really do make me uncomfortable the first thing is he always says is how's it going or how's it, how you feel he always asks her a question mm. first and it sounds so small and, and but it's so important so many of them just come on and spill out every little thought in, in their head and, and, and don't and I know some of the players that are Painfully sulky, sullen, and uninteractive. They, you know, they don't even make eye contact. So asking them a question would probably fall flat on its face because they would barely even muster a response. But I really like that he does that, and I liked as much as you know, it didn't turn the match around for her. Though she did, she she was obviously trying things in that second set. You know, I really liked that he just said it was in a stroppy way. He just, you know, very very firmly said. Can't help you there. That's that's on you. I'm I'm not here to to do everything for you. We're a team. I'm here to help you, but I haven't got every single answer. And too many of those coaching exchanges, it feels like I'm going to bring someone on that's they're going to act as if they have all the answers, and I'm going to act as if they can give me all the answers. And that's just not not the case.
2: The frustration with Samira Hallab is. First of all, she's incredibly likeable. I, I I, think she's great. And I love watching her play. I think she's a brilliant tennis player. And we know that she has a heart as like a lion when she's really into a match. I mean, look at what she did at the Australian Open. 15-13 over Lauren Davis. 9-7 in the third over Angelique Kerber. Had to basically be hospitalised after narrowly losing out to Caroline Wozniacki. And then the flip side is... I, I found about half a dozen matches over the last 12 months in which she's lost 6-1, 6-1, 6-2, and just not shown up. And for the world number one to, to put that many matches in like that is is really frustrating. And I, and I don't know whether she'll ever overcome that element to her career.
3: How much was it about Svitolina today? Let's imagine that that's Svitolina that came out and just barely made a mistake for, for an hour and well, it was about an hour, wasn't it? Total. Um, let's imagine her against, uh, I don't know, Petro Kvitova in Madrid form. I know this. Is, um, you love a hypothetical, though. It's usually me that doesn't. Or, you know, Maria Sharapova from the semi-final versus Halep form. Or, you know, one of these other top players on clay at the moment. How different would the school line well, have been? Because I personally think Svitolina would have beaten any of them on that form.
2: I'm not sure about Kvitova because I think that what players like Kvitova do is they they change the look of things for Svitolina. They take her out of her comfort zone. The really big hitters can just make her uncomfortable. They take her off that baseline position. Yeah, a Pliskova
3: or a Kvitovic, yeah.
2: If they're really on, I mean, they have to be absolutely flying. But there are players out there with sheer brute power and shot making that can make Svitolina discomforted on, on a court. What I would say about her, I mean, she's always been a brilliant mover at the moment. I mean, it looks like she has not left the gym for about two months. I've never seen the woman in shape like this, um, and there's, you know, there's not an ounce of fat on her at all. She's just so solid out there, and a bit, a bit like, I mean, a different build, but a different, a bit like the way Kerber came out at the start of the year. Is that they just put in such incredible hard work off, and 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 she, and I think it comes out then in how she views her her chances and she's playing that much more optimistically she's going out there and she really looked at, at Hallop and I heard this through Nigel Sears who I was commentating with him. he'd been speaking to her coach Andrew Bettles who would said she really fancies her chances against Hallop. she thinks she's got a bigger game and you could and that that
3: was what came across she did have a big game it's interesting cause she doesn't have you don't think of her as a power player but it's something about the 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 flight of her balls over the net they feel like they I know sort of numbers wise and on paper they wouldn't come up as as big as even even as Halop but there's something about the way they just stay hit there's something really direct well, the about them I know got that's more on it now.
2: yeah it it's does spitting with spin you know and it just jumps off the surface and and she's just trying to hurt people now
3: so she's yet to get beyond a quarter final at a Slam will she make the semi finals or better at Roland Garros well
2: I think she will but some of it the reason I hesitate is A because she hasn't yet and B because it depends on what sort of player she comes up against and it's just the same conversation about Alexander Zverev they're at very similar stages of their careers both have proved it over and over again at Masters 1000 level or Premier mandatory or five in the WTA circuit But until they can do it at the slams, you can't say that they will.
3: Well, how about Zverev then? We just moments ago, David, watched him lose in pretty heartbreaking circumstances, having led 3-1 in the deciding set, uh, and then... Uh, suffering two rain delays one where they went off for an extended period and the covers were pulled over came back out I think it was 3-2 at that stage uh, Rafferidge after the first rain delay Rafferidge come out held one game and then they were called off again uh, so came out 3-2 uh, Zverev didn't win another game
2: no, and that's what can sometimes happen with these rain delays. I think that that's something that he, at the moment, is probably pretty inexperienced in, that sort of circumstance, because most tournaments these days have a roof. You don't have these on-off situations that much anymore. Um, and I think Nadal just played that. He just took that those breaks said, right, I'm coming out with a different mindset and you're going to have to deal with me. Um I can only see positives for both players leaving that court, though, with that result, um, in as much as that's the first time on clay Zverev has hurt Nadal, and he found out that he can. That's a big deal to him. Um, and it's just the run he's put together. I, I did not... Ex- the, I, every time he played this week, I thought he was losing to Goffan, I thought he was losing to to uh, Chilich, and he found ways is to win. Is it
3: too much tennis, though, for a guy who is fallen over fallen short over best of 5 up until this point in his career is it too much tennis in his legs because he's i mean it's admirable that he's fought through it completely admirable as you say but he's looked knackered for for 6 or 7 days yeah. already now and uh, he could be playing again on Sunday, I think so it's definitely it could be possible. very
2: soon. I think he he has scheduled too much tennis in his calendar. Given how successful he's been, the problem is you don't know how successful you're going to be. Um, I, I suspect he will revise that in future years.
3: It's always going to be tough for him, isn't it? Because Munich is obviously his home event, so he'll obviously have to play the the Masters 1000. So Madrid and Rome back to back and. Munich will always fall the week immediately prior and to it that. May,
2: it may have to go at some point yeah. in his career. You know, other players have have done that. Federer used to play Gestad all the time straight after Wimbledon. That that doesn't happen anymore. Um, so it, it may have to go, but I, I think that he is more vulnerable over best of five than he is over best of three. Simple as that at the moment. Um, And with the tennis he's got in his legs, if somebody like Chorich did at the US Open, and it could be a player like Chorich that is just able to grind with him, take his legs away a little bit.
3: There's plenty of those out there on play.
2: There are still question marks over the legs of Zverev in that way, I think, at the French Open. So we'll see.
3: So is Svitolina going further than Zverev? I know they're not... um, Comparable in terms of the the eventual result today, but bear with me. It's Vettelina going further. They're, they're comparable in terms of the only level at which they yet to d- prove themselves is at the slams. I think Who's going both, further?
2: They'll both make the semis. I mean, I you know I, I sort of slightly reserve judgment till I see the draw, just in case there's somebody I think oh, actually, but always, as we stand always with a right get right out now, clause, David. You've Always got to have a little back door, haven't you? <laughs> but what do you think?
3: Who's going further? Um, uh, Svitolina probably on the evidence of today, but you're right about the draw because if she... You know, she could get Sharapova. is um, uh, not going to be seeded, is she? Um, so you could get Sharapova round one and I think Svitolina would probably win that, but she is the sort of player that could just play lights out and uh, bully her off the court. I mean, so.
2: can we just say a word about Sharapova as well? I mean the form she found in the last couple of days and not even I mean Nigel Sears wasn't as convinced by her form as I was. I know what he was meaning because her serve was missing a lot and she was hitting a lot of double faults. But just the appetite that she has for the game, I mean crikey you know, she it was it was quite intimidating to to watch the way she was going about it as it's in in her own way is Nadal like this this just Ravenous desire to get to the ball and pulverize it, and uh, yeah, I mean, she's she's dangerous, she remains dangerous.
3: 40 in the world, but in the world, but I'm not sure that includes the points from this week in Rome. No, no, it won't. I don't, so uh, mm, TBC, she'll be going up, she'll be going up, up, but
2: certainly 30 ish.
3: Yeah, well, that's crucial though, isn't it? Mm. If 32 ish or 33 ish,
2: yes, I don't know.
3: We we will we will check and let you know via the beautiful medium of social media.
2: Indeed.
3: Um, other notable uh, who's made a mark?
2: Djokovic. I mean, come on, the guy feel, uh, we're talking about, Sharapova, she sort of feels back now. So does he? I mean, there there were, was a point where he had a great first round in Rome, and 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 there was there was a moment where I did think, well, thing is, we've had this before, where he's put together a great one result, and then he's blown it the next round this time he got his way through to beat nishikori and play nadal and that first set was hanging on a knife edge that first set he was doing to nadal more or less a decent impression of what he was doing to him two or three years ago and certainly living with him eventually he ran out of gas but i think the uh the omens are really good because he was he was irritated and angry at things not going his way but he also looked excited to be out there so I was really encouraged on his part. he
3: did totally have a fire and a desire which there have been flickers of I'm not saying it hasn't been there at all um, since his return that would be too simplistic a narrative but it seemed to be um, more dig more more natural that it seemed to be coming flowing naturally rather than him thinking I'm flat I've got to try and fire myself up. There was something instinctive about the the fire in him this week in Rome and I think the love they have for him there certainly yeah. certainly helps. He is he's he's human in that you, you know you know back when I used to have issues with relating to Federer and I used to say that I feel like it, all these adoring crowds he sort of acts like I don't need you. Mm. I, on the flip side of that you know Djokovic does need it doesn't he? He likes to be loved. He likes yeah. to be liked and he wants to be liked and he you know uh, I feel like I'm quoting the American office. Um, uh, yeah he he wants it and he needs it in some respects and I think at the moment he needs it perhaps more than ever before and he certainly responded to it in Rome this <laughs> week but because though because he's shown flashes before and faltered afterwards, I'm I'm still a bit reluctant to to suddenly go, Yep, he's back because you know, there was the Nishikori victory in Madrid and then you know, well, I, no, I just no, no, I just don't no, 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 know. I'm,
2: I'm sure if we were to rewind the podcast two years and it's all there in the archive if you want to go and listen (laughs) but if you went and listened to us two years ago i reckon we were having this conversation about nadal with Djokovic on top probably and we were talking about how nadal is showing flickers of looking like his old self but is he ever going to get there and when's he when's it going to falter again you don't feel like that now do you I, i don't anyway and and i just feel as though as long as Djokovic's body can stand up to it the, the the omens are really good signs are very good incidentally quick note uh, something I read from Pat Cash on social media I, I, I liked this little anecdote about Rafa when, remember when he told us about when he first played him when he was a kid I in an exhibition
3: yes well what, what happened was Boris he was supposed to be playing Boris Becker in an exhibition in Mallorca I, w- I wasn't there I've heard this uh, this is a this is a classic Champions Tour story that gets busted out at every Champions Tour dinner that that's ever happened. Um, he was supposed to be playing Boris Becker at uh, in fact he was playing Boris Becker at an exhibition in Mallorca and uh, midway through Boris Becker w- went off court and um, he just got on a plane and left. <laughs>
1: Apparently, there
3: was was a delay. Boris just got on (laughs) on a plane out of Mallorca and left. And uh, this is the sort of thing that happens on the Champions Tour. Um, (laughs) And uh, they were like, "Mm, we we need some tennis to happen. What can we do? And uh, there was this local kid that was around that had been hitting. I think he'd been a hitting partner with a couple of the players earlier in the week. I think he was 15 at the time. And they brought on Rafael Nadal. And I think... I think, Pat listens to the pod, doesn't he? So he will certainly correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Pat still beat him, but he was pretty taken aback. Yeah. Pretty taken aback by how good he He was. He said
2: here, he said, I remember going to my then sponsor and telling them, this kid is going to be huge. Give him whatever deal he wants and sign him up. (laughs)
3: <laughs> oh, so is, is Pat been on commission ever since? Well, I don't think they the did
2: bo- sign him up. <laughs> for so. the past
3: 16 or 17... Oh, they didn't sign don't, him up? Don't think it worked. Maybe it didn't work. Oh, heads have oh, probably rolled. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a, it's a cracking anecdote. It would be um, 20 times better if <laughs> if Pat were telling it himself. But you have to settle for me.
2: Yes, OK. Well, it's done now.
3: Is Nadal going to uh, win the... So weekly Is Nadal going to win the French segment of the podcast? Yes. 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 We'll have that conversation
2: <laughs> again next week in our Draw <laughs> episode.
3: Um, any other notables on the men's side before we move on? I know there are a couple of things we wanted to talk about on the women's side. Fabio Fanini.
2: Yeah. He showed flashes of his brilliance and he hurt Nadal again briefly. Uh, and he he was he produced a couple of brilliant performances. but uh, yeah. his
3: body His body wasn't up to it, was it? He had one yeah. set of amazing tennis in him against Nadal and then it all... It all fell away. But do you know what that match made me think of in my sentimental missing Andy Murray state of mind? It made me think of the match that Murray played against Fanini at Wimbledon last year. And mm. it just made me realise how extraordinary a victory that was for Murray. Because Fanini was fully fit that day. Yeah, yeah. And Murray, we now know, was a heck of a long way from fully fit. Yeah. He was in an extraordinary amount of pain and and uh, you know was doing a good job to be standing up. And yeah. Murray beat no, an on-form fanini it was yeah it was yeah it
1: sure was yeah we miss him oh well when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting when you find the one you'll get it delivered right to your door
0: And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST.
2: Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in.
3: What do we got? You, you, you're, the, you're the happiness correspondent. Loads of stuff. Incidentally, <laughs> can I just parts. say
2: we were talking last week about uh, Jim Courier's dead arm. Remember that we were trying to work yeah. out what it was. Well, lots of people have written in uh, in response to that. Uh, a couple here, Tammy, a massage therapist from Victoria, Australia, so she must know what she's talking about. She says, "Great, great podcast. Uh, dead arm isn't tennis elbow, as David suggested. Mm-hmm. It's actually a shoulder problem caused by hyperextension in the joint." Kim says in california dead arm is not the same as tennis elbow speaking as someone who has experienced it and being american which seemed important in your conversation it is more of a feeling that your arm is asleep and fatigued there is not necessarily pain involved
3: i think oh, well, that like makes sense arm. to me that makes sense to me yeah, yeah. So. And somebody else uh, wrote in to say it was the opposite of live arm <laughs> Which I found That's helpful. <laughs> found uh, very illuminating.
2: Caroline um, Pliskova we better talk about.
3: Yeah, what was I'll she say. doing? S- and
2: what was that umpire doing?
3: Well, the umpire interestingly got removed from further. W- so the situation is that Carolina Pliskova, just to give you a, a, a potted summary, was taking on Maria Sakkari uh, in I think the third round in uh, in Rome, and uh, she hit a smash and it was very clearly in replay showed it was very clearly in she felt it in i'm not sure anyone in the stadium was thinking anything but it wasn't it but there it was called out um it was quite close to the umpire umpire didn't overrule Plishkova obviously asked for the line the mark to be inspected um, umpire couldn't find a mark uh line judge was then brought in to consult line judge said he couldn't point to which mark it was that he was calling out maria sakari sort of not particularly firmly but she did indicate that she was up for replaying the point, but for some reason the point was not replayed and it was given to Maria Sakkari. Pliskova lost it and lost the match and then at the end of the match she, she went to shake her hands with the umpire, took her hand away at the last and instead uh, inflicted three absolutely deadly blows with her racket to the side of the umpire's chair
2: putting a hole in it
3: putting a putting a massive hole in it yeah um i mean she could have done some some serious damage to somebody in that mood and uh yeah she has been sanctioned we don't know how we don't we
2: don't know the amount
3: we don't know the amount we don't even know necessarily that it's financial financial do we Uh, We assume it's financial yeah
2: i think it is financial um I, i did ask the wta um i was curious as to why they don't publish the figures because they being, say it's
3: their policy yeah. not to to publicize sanctions for their members
2: i think that's a mistake uh,
3: it, it, i think it's unquestionably a huge mistake i mm. mean it's a it's a pr catastrophe
2: maybe not a catastrophe but it's 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 a mistake no, i am it's i am, am, am
3: hyperbolising, but I it's mean, a, but it, what, the what's it, what's to, what's to, yeah but also the, um, the wta have done it they we knew what the sanction was For Serena Williams, when she didn't go to press in Miami, did we? Yeah, we did because it was pitifully small. It was four thousand dollars or something, right? We definitely heard what that was. So I don't. So it, I don't know. It. it, I think to to say that to just say this is our policy, I don't think adds up.
2: Yeah, I think it's. I think it's something that needs reviewing, certainly, um, because. What's the what's to hide? Um, what why why not? I mean, you know, she did it very publicly. Yeah. She smashed her racket into the chair, so yeah, she she needs to be sanctioned accordingly. And
3: you'd kind of want to to hear the thought, hear what the the, the thought process and the 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 um, legal process is behind the sanction as well. Is it mitigated by the fact that she was in the right? You know, she did have a case, Pliskovic. She had every reason to be. Um, very, very aggrieved. She just expressed it in the wrong wrong way. I'd like to know what the process is for deciding upon upon the sanction. Does she sort of give an account of herself? All of that
2: stuff. When Fanini got rightfully, absolutely, the book thrown at him, financially at least, I mean, you know, uh, at least you've, you've got a sense of what the levels were that you were dealing with versus other things that mm-hmm. might go on at tennis tournaments so uh, th- that's where this would be quite interesting I mean when I, when I asked about it on, on Twitter about what people thought I mean crikey there was a lot of opinion uh, out there about it a lot of people were really upset about her behaviour and, and felt that she she deserved maybe a stricter sentence a lot of people thought you know actually no the umpire is com- it, was, it was such an awful decision and Christina Plishkova, her sister, she was came certainly out and had a go.
3: she was certainly taken off her. She was scheduled to do another match later that day, and she was taken off it. So, whether she's been subject to 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 sanctions or discipline reaction as well, I don't know.
2: Sid yeah. says, "Fine, her one match ban or two, but it was just the chair. Let's not judge her character over this. But, but Enjoy the, the aggro," he says.
3: But but hang on there because. I, I'm not judging her character, but there's an awful lot of other... We know that with incidents like that, intent is considered irrelevant. Look at Denis Shapovalov. He did not intend to hit Arno Gabas in the eye with the tennis ball. He was just hitting out in frustration and was unlucky with where the ball went. Tim Henman at Wimbledon. David intent, Nalbanian. David Intent is considered irrelevant. So... Mm you know I'm not sure that holds up
2: Sherry says about aggro sure most people like the odd racket smash but this was too much not a good example for kids watching Nicholas says throw the book and make it public no excuse for that behaviour Scott says I honestly loved watching some emotion from that woman
3: well, yeah, there is that factor, isn't it? That it was a real... It was like she'd saved up all the emotion that people have been challenging her to express over the past few years. Where's the emotion from Caroline Critchfield? Why doesn't she care? And it all came out well, in that think, one moment. Catherine, I mean,
2: you know, we talk all the time about John Maccarona, you know, how we, we sort of have a, a little smile to ourselves and then you see some of these things. And at the time, they, they often feel quite uncomfortable. This is how I view it. I kind of, on one hand, love it. But on the other hand, at the time, my sense of what's right and wrong... Is, is it makes me feel compromised because i i watch her do that and i think no no that you shouldn't do that but actually then the other hand is kind of funny
3: yeah i feel very conflicted about it because i enjoy it in a guilty pleasure kind of way yes. but you know we should be denied a lot of our <laughs> a lot of our guilty <laughs> pleasures you know um so i think she she has to be sanctioned um i uh, I don't know. It's a, as you say. It's very unscientific, but it's largely about feel, isn't it? And I can't get a feel for whether that, you know, without knowing what the sanction is. Richard Ings,
2: who used to run all the rules on the ATP years and years ago, and he's a uh, very experienced uh, uh, in the understanding of, of all this kind of thing, he says, The WTA policy of not announcing sanctions for on-court misconduct is deeply, deeply flawed. Pliskova's egregious misconduct was globally televised. She de- deserves public admonishment for her repre- reprehensible and violent actions.
3: I mean, there was... It, it... Looking at it back, it was. it's hard to deny that it wasn't violent. It was pretty vicious. <laughs> I mean, the, I, again, I can find an argument for lacking? kind of if there's a job worth doing, <laughs> do, do it do it well. You know, if you're going to d- destroy some furniture. So, I tell
2: you what, it does also $1, bring $1, into $1,000 fine
3: from the WTA for Serena Williams in Miami. Oh, right.
2: Okay. Well, I tell you what it also does bring into focus is the Hawkeye on clay argument, you know, does, does that need to come in? And most people have said, yes, it's time to bring in Hawkeye on clay to, to just help out the umpire and you, you have that back. I mean, you don't have this situation of them jumping down out of the chair and looking at the mark and all this. Other people say, well, I like it old school. I like them coming down. Do you want to know who I've been texting? No, I'm gonna. Yeah, yeah. well, anyway, I, I've, been, I've been having a little chat with somebody who doesn't think Hawkeye on clay would be a good idea because he reckons that the actual technology involved would be shown up.
3: I well it does Hang on we do all know that there's a 2 millimeter margin for error in Hawkeye so of course it would be of course it would be shown up.
2: Sven Gruneveld, the coach former coach of uh, Maria Sharapova says said to me that that call was so bad I can totally understand the anger that Pliskova showed after the defeat. He said In terms of the technology, he said, no Hawkeye for me, as it will show its flaws. We should have a technology specific to clay. And I believe that Fox 10 is developed in Spain and therefore a much better substitute. Um, He he said, I like the human element as well. He said, I I wouldn't want to take away all of that. He said, I believe the technology should assist us, not control us. Yeah,
3: but uh, I suppose there's an argument that along those lines of the assisting that you could use hawkeye just to to because the majority of issues with line calls on clay uh center around uh uh, deciding which mark is involved in this one it was bizarre because they couldn't seem to find any mark at all but you could use hawkeye to assist you in identifying the correct mark but then visually use the mark yeah. that you've identified. I wonder what your, would
2: happen if we played on play and there was mark-checking Hard I'd win,
3: involved. David. I'd win. Based on? Should, what 100% of our previous meetings.
2: <laughs> how would you cope with on-court coaching? I'm trying to work out how you'd respond to that.
3: On-court I think that would I think that would be good for me. Do you? I think a, a pep talk... Yeah, I think I'd be like Semena Halep I'd get really down on myself And someone would come on and do a nice little mix of tough love And a gentle arm round the shoulder And I'd be a new woman
2: Right, well we're not having that so uh, old school rules apply. Um,
3: another little um, sort of on-court rule thing that emerged in Rome this week was, and in fact, I think it happened twice, but I saw it with uh, Joe Conto when she was taking on Yelena Ostapenko. She tried to call Michael Joyce onto court and she was informed that she wasn't able to do that oh, because yeah. the umpire had seen Michael Joyce indicate to Conter that he wanted to come on. And then she went, she asked in him, she went, Coach, coach, coach! like that and she said, No, I've just seen that he told you to let me on and apparently that constitutes illegal coaching from the stands and it the request has to come yeah. in the first instance from it the player. The and she wasn't umpire, permitted to do it.
2: Same umpire in both of the stories because the second one you I think you're about to reference involved Caroline Wozniaki who asked her father Piotr to come onto the court. But because he was on the other side of the court, he kind of tried to hurdle the, 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 the perimeter fencing rather than coming through the actual designated entrance to the court, again, which you're not allowed to do. And this particular umpire, uh, Mariana Veljovic. well, she's... you wouldn't want she's to mess pretty with feisty. her.
3: She's feisty. I think she's cool. I yeah, tell you, I'll I, would, like I am
2: not going to fall out with her anytime <laughs> soon. Um, and she was not having it in either case. And, uh, yeah.
3: Um, I've mentioned Ostopenko David where does she fall in your list of... What number down the favourites list is she for the French Open?
2: She is the ultimate sort of wild card into into any draw for me. because it's not a number. On form... It's not a number. On form, I mean, last year I wouldn't have put her in the top 40. Nobody um, would have. This year I wouldn't put her in the top five, and yet she could... I wouldn't. I wouldn't top be 10? that surprised if she won it. Yeah, for sure.
3: Top ten for sure, just yes. not top five. Yeah, I mean, so around about eight, my, sort of my, quarterfinals my top type top Five, ceiling.
2: I think I, I would put in there would be uh, Svitolina, Halep, um, Kerber, no, Kvitova, um Klishkova. I don't know. Maybe Sharapova. Klishkova, no. Uh, I think it would be people that have either won it before or actually Serena, Osterpinka, practice.
3: Just seen a picture of her on Twitter practicing on Philippe Chatrier. Straight from the wedding. Straight from the wedding. Yeah, yeah.
2: I I mean, you wouldn't put it past Serena in there. I think I would put Osterpinka in my top five, actually. Yeah, just at number five.
3: Is Serena top five or top ten? No,
2: she'd be between five and ten. Between
3: five and ten. So Ostapenko is above Serena.
2: Yeah, just about. I mean, come on. The woman has not played a match. Yeah, no, no, I'm
3: not questioning it. I'm just enjoying you being punchy and giving me actual answers. What else can I ask you? um, I'd probably have Ostapenko five to ten, just. Who's your Um,
2: three at the top, then?
3: Svitolina uh, Halep and... Yeah, probably Kvitova. I'd have Pliskova, maybe. I think I've uh, got a bit more time for Pliskova at the French than you do. Yes.
2: Because
3: uh, so. I saw her beat Halep in Madrid, and I know it's altitude and everything, but she she did what Kvitova did
2: tell you what was good on the old on-court coaching were the coaching interventions of david taylor for Osterpenko and michael joyce for johanna konta we found out so much about those relationships in those chats from the way Osterpenko engages with david david taylor she really talks to him she really wants to know and she wants to sort of give her view hear what he has to say about it and then off they go with Conter, it was like michael joyce was was trying to slightly rewire her out there on the court and get her to stop playing safe tennis and kind of cast aside the doubts and the sort of fear of losing because she might go for it and miss. He was saying to her, you know, what's the worst that can happen, basically? You lose the next three games, we move on to next week. Go for it, is what he was saying. Fascinating.
3: Yeah, well you can completely understand that with what we know about Konta's psychology, can't you? Mm. She's you know she needs the pressure taken off. I actually think as much as she doesn't love to play on clay, I think this period of the year could be quite good for her because she's just got absolutely nothing to lose first round points at the French. You know a couple of rounds is is will be considered pretty good for Konta I think. I think yeah. hopefully she can go in there pressure off. She will be seeded, she just won't be uh, one of the top seeds like she's She's um, been lucky to be for the past few slams. But, I don't know, win a couple of rounds? You don't know anything can happen? She's a set-up against Ostapenko. I think she's sort of playing with the house's money at the
2: moment because um, she'd won, I think, before that match, she's, she's won like seven clay court matches in her life. Three of them have come this year. So she's already kind of doing better than she's ever done, really. Nobody expects an awful lot. And she's playing quite well.
3: Who's your one to five? Okay, who's your two to five on the men's side? Uh,
2: it would definitely
3: be Zverev as number two. At the definitely moment. Zverev number yeah, two. Yeah, I think Never so. Never been to the second week of Islam.
2: No, I he just looks the business to me right now. Um, Didn't
3: he last year as well? Lost first round.
2: I'm telling you what I think. I, I think he's proved I'm, it. Over, I'm doing a
3: law. I'm doing annoying devil's advocate questioning.
2: Is he's done it over and over again. Now, I'm still curious as to whether that will repeat itself over best of five. But I'm not really convinced by anybody else. That's the thing. Dominic team is not playing as well as he did last year. Uh, Stan Wawrinka is, is not a factor at the moment because he's coming back. Um, Djokovic? Novak Djokovic, I think he's starting to play well enough. But I just don't think that there's enough Mars in his legs is at the moment. Is he top five? Yes, yeah, he'd be about five because I'm not that convinced by the rest of the field. So he's number three.
3: Maybe number that's three. the bigger question. I mean, I,
2: I'd probably still go for, uh, for, for team um, because of he, he's got a bit of pedigree at that level. But I'm not that convinced by many players at the moment of having, you know, I wouldn't confidently say so-and-so is going to get to the, the second week. Do you know who I think is in the top ten?
3: Kyle Edmund, you're yeah. going to say, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I'd put him top ten as well. I don't think that's that big a stretch. If we're putting Dominic Thiem as number three, which I agree with you, I don't feel you know, I don't feel like Dominic Thiem has a big chance of winning the French Open, and yet probably he is number three. I mean, the thing so, is,
2: Edmund could get a draw that puts him up against one of the really tough players. Earlier than would allow him to get to the quarters. But if he got anything like the draw he got at the Australian Open, I could see him getting to the quarters. What about
3: someone like Nishikori? You know, great win over Dimitrov, but fallen short to Djokovic a couple of times now. Played and well
2: against Djokovic, though. Yeah, Look, he's he playing did. beautifully. Again, I just I don't trust the guy's body, no. I don't trust him physically. Lovely player, but I just don't. And and you know, Fanini plays brilliant tennis. But can you can you rely on him? Can you feel that he's going to do it?
3: What about somebody like, like a Chilich, semi finalist in Rome?
2: There are chances there for these players. There's so many of them. I mean, it's it sounds as though Del Potro might not make it. Yeah. I mean, he's pulled his groin oh, and
3: desperately sad. Yeah. yeah. Milos is the out. Um, there, yeah. there's, there are so Song many out. players yeah. that are
2: out of this draw the opportunity is knocking for, for people that you would never think of normally
3: Who would we, who's the most outlandish person that we can think of that might have an opportunity <laughs> I
2: tell you what, I'm going to answer that one when the draw comes out give me oh. the rest of this week, I need to think about it Dennis? Like, mm, no, but Sitsipas
3: yeah? Yeah. I mean, Sitsipas
2: more than Chapavalo. I would say so over best of five, I think he's a, he's, a, he's he's got an older body. He's a little more, a bit more of a strapping does that mean bloke, older. Well, yes, <laughs> but you know what I mean. It feels like he's it feels like he's more developed generally. Dennis still looks like a kid, just <laughs> a bit. He, you know, Dennis the menace. He, that, that's p- perfect for him, really. Um, and on clay, I, I just feel that Sutapath, generally speaking, has the better foundation to his game.
3: Yeah, I can't argue with that. Um, what else you got?
2: i got loads of stuff. <laughs> you know,
3: David Law is clutching his phone desperately. Uh, <laughs> what other text message threads would you like to read me, David Law?
2: Actually, to be honest with you, uh, well, the first one, I've got two sort of any other businesses to, just for the end. What about Chris commode's quotes over the course of this week about the team competition debate that it, it would
3: be insane that was the quote wasn't it brilliant. it would be insane to have you know, both Chris. he's right yeah. it would be absolute madness and I like that he was sort of speaking on behalf of tennis there and not just on behalf yes. of the ATP because as you know I find it um I, I find the, the division within the sport maddening I, I've uh, I've this week I ended up in rows on Twitter with people about the scheduling in Rome and lots of people lazily saying, oh, you know, supply and demand, people want to watch men's tennis. I, I genuinely don't think about tennis like that. I just want to watch a good tennis match. I don't think about whether I want to watch a men's tennis match or a women's tennis match. And, you know, I'd rather watch a good men's match than a bad women's match and vice versa. And I, I, I think... The way that people think about it as men's and women's tennis is not helped by the way the administrative and organisational structures are formed. That encourages us to think about it in those terms, which is a shame. But anyway, diatribe over. I liked that it sounded like he was speaking just rationally on behalf of tennis, that it would just be madness. Go
2: read some of the stuff that Simon Briggs has been producing over the last week on the Telegraph website. He's done a big investigative report before he spoke to actually Chris Comerden and and the the rest of the media did as well. Simon had had already found out that the likelihood is that the idea of overhauling the entire Davis Cup to remove home and away altogether is likely to be shelved in as much as they're going to try for a compromise. They've realised he was saying that home and away is still so coveted and and so appreciated around the world that they need to keep an element of that in. The idea is that they would have a sort of preliminary playoff round in February in order to earn your places in this end of season competition.
3: It's great that they're not so wedded to their own ide- or their own new ideas that they won't make those adjustments. Well I think they realise them.
2: it's not going to work Catherine yeah. to be quite honest. I think There's the a other, lot of people know, that
3: arrogantly would do that and still bulldoze well, ahead because they've announced it and you know.
2: I think I know. might have said at the time that 10-15 that, uh, years ago when the Grand Slam Cup run by the ITF was going on, uh, and the ATP Finals were going on, and you basically got two of these events at the same time. Eventually, sense was seen, and they combined the two, and you've got what we now have at the O2, um, and that's what I think they need to get to here. I don't, I couldn't care less who 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 runs it or whatever. They just need to make it bloody good, and and in the spirit of the Davis Cup, but something that makes more sense to everybody. Dave Haggerty
3: has also said that uh, plans for similar reform of the Fed Cup are. are Um, planned for 2020, which is, you know, further away than is ideal, but... Talking right. in concrete terms, and it's the it's the right kind of noises. Yes. Uh, as uh, following the same theme as my last rant, it's a shame that it's not all being done together. Yeah, but you know, it's the right it's the right kind of noises.
2: Can I draw your attention to two more things before we sign off, Catherine, on this lovely sunny afternoon on a that Sunday? That is the
3: sound of a barbecue being wheeled away. It is. That's what you can it's hear. It's
2: quite nice to be a bit smug and have better weather than Rome, isn't, isn't it, it? Just I yeah. Love it. Um, anyway. Draw your attention to a young British player who won a $15,000 futures tournament in Israel uh, yesterday. Name is Emma, I think, uh, this is one for the pronunciation police here, Emma Raducanu, right? She's 15 years of age, um, she played basically a, a seniors event, it wasn't a junior event, and she, she qualified for it and won the whole thing without dropping a set. I mean, that for a 15-year-old is pretty good going in Israel. That's Um, not
3: even a name I've heard before. Well, do you know what?
2: I I actually heard the name because I came into BT Sport yesterday to start the commentary, and I saw Nigel Sears for the first time in a couple of months. And I I said, how are you doing? And he, he often tells me about um maybe some some young players that he's seen or that he's he's helping to coach or that he's might coach or something like that and he said you know next week I'm going to meet a a young girl called Emma Raducanu um who's who's not turned 16 yet and I'm going to have a couple of days with her I've not met her yet but but um she's been brought to my attention by the LTA and they're going to uh send her down to, to to work with me for a couple of days and um and he said, and she's playing this tournament in Israel. So I went and looked it up, and there she is, winning the thing. So, you know, I've, then, I've had a look at some of the video of her playing. I mean, you know, obviously a, a young player, but crikey, a talent. I'm very wary of, of talking about players like this on the tennis podcast and, and making everybody uh, who does listen think, oh, I'm going to look out for that player, because I love doing that. Everybody, I love talent spotting in that way. I don't want to heap loads of pressure on this young player, but isn't it nice to sort of find out somebody that we haven't heard of is doing something, and she's British. Yeah. So pretty cool. Well, uh, the know. other one is total other end of the age scale. <laughs> 36 years of age, Tommy Robredo has just won a challenger today, and he's pictured in tears with the trophy. Isn't that oh, He's had good horrible Oh, on that man, problems. he has. I uh, You know, he's, this is a guy who's been playing best part of 20 years and um and there he is still getting that much out of the sports that he that he's you know he's got plenty of money doesn't need to play let let's hope that all of the other players that have had long layoffs obviously thinking of Andy Murray at the height of that as well can have their way to resume their career and eventually sign off on their own terms that's all you ask
3: I feel inspired David Hmm. but also slightly Slightly depressed by the fact that Nirvana unplugged seems to be being played over in barbecue corner and over all the there. the wine
2: bottles seem to be empty. The
3: wine bottles are empty, and they're they're playing acoustic Nirvana. So they, I think we need to evacuate before <laughs> things start. The people, the people who have the wine in
2: the barbecue do seem to have seen better days. Yeah, they're the pushing. Yeah, welcome to Putney, uh, David. And they're having a good old drink.
3: Having a good old time. It looks like a meeting, it looks like a sort of um, British Legion day out, doesn't it? Um, Charming. It's lovely here, isn't it? I like like where you live. It's It's delightful. It's delightful. Um, I think, David, that the delight is over for one more week. I think it is. But when we return. It You'll will be, in Paris. be, I'll be in Paris and it will be our French Open preview podcast. It will,
2: and we'll be turning six years old as a podcast.
3: And we'll be turning six years old. And uh, last year on our fifth birthday, I really, really failed in my attempts to get cake. So that is my task for the week in Paris. So when we return. French Open Preview plus cake and uh, we will also I promise uh, have the promised La Manga Club competition um, due to uh, no special reason other than our failures to get our acts together this week because the weather's been so nice Uh, the competition is not quite ready to be revealed to the uh, to the general public but it will be unveiled Next week. Yes, it will. Uh, but we still have our La Manga Club promotion for all tennis podcast listeners. T Podcast 18 is the code to enter on the La Manga Club website for 10% off all accommodation and tennis packages. We are brought to you in association with the La Manga Club, with TennisBalls.com, with Menly Bowes and Triple S, and with Charlie the Ferret. And we'll be back next week in Paris. <laughs>